I'm Laura Schofield and I'm the founder of Otto and Ivy, a shoe brand for tall women in sizes 8 to 12. Before launching my business, I worked as a TV presenter and also wrote a fashion blog for tall women like me. This is my new podcast in which I talk to brilliant tall people and discover how height has affected all of our lives. Welcome to Tall Stories. In today's episode, I chat to trans YouTuber, activist and queer heritage leader, Stephanie Lynette. Stephanie is a six foot three trans woman who has been on a remarkable journey. She grew up feeling desperately disassociated from the male body that she'd been born into and fought hard to claim her true place in the world. It was a real privilege to have an open discussion about her experience and learn more about the process people go through when transitioning. She is exceptionally gracious when recalling the struggles some family members had in coming to terms with her diagnosis. And I'm very thankful for her openness and warmth in this chat because I learned a heck of a lot. I'm going to start with the three most annoying questions first. Not sure if these annoy you on the regular, but the first one is how tall are you? I'm six foot three. Have you always been tall? No, I haven't actually. So I didn't have my last growth spurt until I was about 17 so until so until I was around about 15 I was probably about five foot five I was very very average sized teenager and things like that and then when I went off to college I had a growth spurt and I ended up being about 5'11 for a long time and then due to hormone fluctuations going through my transition mm. I ended up sitting comfortably at six or three. <laughs> oh well you you carry it well um, and are your parents tall? My dad is six foot four but my mum is five foot two. Right so you, yeah. you'd expect to be maybe average but yeah um, <laughs> so tell me what your early years were like then. I mean, as a child, I had a very happy childhood. I was very, I was always very flamboyant and theatrical. I think it comes a lot, especially on my channel, especially in my demeanour, how I carry myself online. I'm a very bubbly and theatrical person and I always was as a child and I always was kind of geared towards the feminine and I always wanted to portray that in play and things like that. But when I look back on my early childhood, other than having maybe a slightly strange relationship with my dad, who was like a, a like bloke and, you know, I was his son and it was very kind of stiff upper lip. Other than that, I had a very pleasant childhood. It wasn't mm. until I was kind of 9, 10, 11 that I started to feel uncomfortable within myself you know identifying as male um and everyone always assumed I was going to be gay and that came from like the effeminate and the flamboyant and and so they all just assumed I was going to be gay and I was told that my entire life like I I was already being marginalized into a box by other people and my parents had that feedback all the time from the age of maybe three because I was existing in those stereotypes of Mm. oh you know Stephanie's doing this and Stephanie like all of those things so yeah it's very was that quite confusing for you to hear and listen to because I mean that must have put a thought in your head like oh maybe that's it then maybe it's because I'm gay that I'm feeling this way yeah so I always kind of it was quite strange for me because my growing up 
was very much influenced by my surroundings and mm. I had never met someone who had openly identified as being homosexual but I had met someone who openly identified as being transgender so when I was a child my frame of reference is probably the opposite of most people because most children would know someone who's openly homosexual but not have met someone who's trans yeah. but mine was the opposite because of my next door neighbor transitioned when I was in my early adolescence so it's it's very much my frame of reference was influenced by that so I always pushed against being gay and growing up with a neighbor who was transitioning it, it was very much I knew that that was the option for me and I used to say it as a child I used to say that when I grow up I'll have surgery and I'll be a lady and like and I'd run around saying I want children and mm. so yeah it was I had a I had a happy childhood and it was definitely influenced by that presence and knowing that that was an option but I, I tried to push against being pinholed into being gay because everyone yeah. tried to do it my whole life so yeah so can yeah. you describe because it is it is a very different experience and I think some people do they do brush it off and go oh no they're probably just gay or why can't they just mm -hmm. leave things as they are and be gay or whatnot can you describe and I know this is really tricky because it's your personal experience mm. so you don't have that comparison necessarily and um, because your life is your life and you haven't lived anyone else's but can you explain what it's like to not feel like you are in the right body it's a really interesting concept when you have to think about it when you have to break it down it's called body dysphoria um mm. or gender dysphoria is what it's, it used to be diagnosed as it's no longer diagnosed with gender dysphoria. It's, it's got a new name. Um, I, the way I would describe it, I mean, in terms of a feeling, would be just feeling detached from yourself. Mm. It's a very, do you know, funnily enough, I mentioned it. I have a friend who has two beautiful children and she suffered from postpartum depression and things like that. And, and it was a really difficult journey for her. And we actually bonded with the fact that we felt so removed from our mm. reflections and who we were and who we presented as being. And so it's very much, it feels, I suppose, like a heightened version of a self-hatred or self-loathing that comes from a disassociation. So it just feels like the person looking back at you in the mirror is not who you're supposed to be and because it's not who you're supposed to be you try to emotionally detach and as a child mm. going through that I didn't have the vocabulary or the reasoning to be able to break that down in my head I didn't know the things that I know now and mm. um, but yeah I would describe it you know growing up as a child as a general unhappiness a desire to always err towards the feminine and always err towards dress up and self-expression and it really was a complete disassociation with my body. It was like an out-of-body experience. I was living a life in a vessel that I didn't belong in. It was a very strange mm. thing to kind of think about. Um, but yeah, that's probably how I'd describe it. And you realised that around the age of about nine or ten? Yes. So, I mean, from the age of about ten, I would say, was when I started to generally feel unhappy within myself in terms of my body I remember when I was nine years old asking my dad if I could wear t-shirts to the beach because I was uncomfortable having mm. a bad chest and things like that um which was always brushed off as me being silly and don't be ridiculous and and 
so it really happened around that age and then I, I came out well I started actively seeking help the second I arrived in secondary school because I'd gone from primary school when everyone assumed I was going to be gay but having the assumption of being gay at secondary school is a very different experience to primary school because there's a much more hormonal air to everyone's kind of leanings and things like that mm. and so I started getting counseling without my parents knowledge in my first year of school and I had counseling for probably about nine months and did you arrange that through your school then to the school I arranged it through my school yeah so through you know like student support services yeah and so I went through that journey of discovering that I could be transgender alone um and then I came out just after my 12th birthday and it was never it was never really taken particularly seriously by my parents. Mm. And then um, around the age of 13, I made several attempts at my own life, um, at a, which was an extremely young age. Mm. And, and then we started going to NHS provided counselling. We went through a referral service and then I started actively transitioning just after my 13th birthday. So I transitioned through secondary school. Wow. And so what were the conversations like at home when you start when you so you said you came out at 12 mm-hmm. um, to yeah. your parents and was that to your friends as well? I actually came up to some of my friends before my parents. Yeah. So my parents were kind of the last ones because I knew that they expected me to be gay. Yeah. So I kind of was pushing it aside because it wasn't me being homosexual it was it was something bigger and so much more and I didn't I always felt quite bad for my parents because they had spent their whole life having other people's preconceptions of their son pushed onto them Mm. and so for me to not only live up to that expectation but completely go in the other way with it towards the complete effeminate I I left them until last because I was really concerned about disappointing them I think yeah um but it was a really interesting experience coming out to my family so I look back on how I came out I screamed at my mother that I was trans wow so it was like and a like cat slater enders moment it's like look <laughs> yeah and so the next door neighbor was round um who was the wife of the previous next door neighbor who had transitioned and I walked into the kitchen and I had I have something to tell you and I, I yelled it um, but I used the wrong language completely because I hadn't had a formal diagnosis at that point that I had been in counselling for nine months and as a 12 year old I was like oh, I've been diagnosed with gender dysphoria I want to be a woman and then I just ran away didn't wait for a response just left immediately um, and then my mum told my dad on my behalf and he came to talk to me about it and I just sent him away because his he, I knew what his response was going to be mm. so yeah that's kind of that's the journey of how I came out I suppose and do you have I mean are your parents on board with it now are they you know I mean I imagine that's a tricky thing to talk about are they um accepting of your journey and how have they been supportive of it do you know it's really funny because as an adult I look back on my relationship with my parents and it's so different in hindsight because when I was in it as a child as a child you think the entire world revolves around you and Mm. every decision is being made to your detriment or for your benefit but I grew up with I've got 
several siblings, but in my household when I was growing up, I had a younger sister who's 10 years younger than me called Abigail, and an older sister who's three and a half years older than me called Emily. So the decisions that I thought were being made were to kind of stomp me down, but actually the decisions were being made were in consideration of every family dynamic. Mm. And so my mother was very supportive from the very beginning. So my mum works in healthcare. She's a palliative end of life carer. So she very much um, is involved with mental health and care and, and has been my entire life. It's a very emo- my- emotionally intelligent woman very emotionally intelligent what do you know my mum I everyone loves their mum everybody but I idolize my mum she's the best I love her um and then my dad was the really tricky one so my dad had had a son from a previous relationship and his relationship with my eldest brother my eldest half-brother was really difficult and very strange due to extenuating circumstances and so I kind of felt like I was his last attempt at the like stereotypical son Mm. you know he had been in the armed forces and he was athletic and he was very masculine and Mm. I think that I was his last attempt at having that and so he pushed back against it a lot in terms of trying to medicate me and have me sectioned and things like that. It was a very difficult experience. But now, when I moved out when I was 17, so I left home when I was 17, my relationship with my dad specifically massively improved because my relationship with my mum was always great. Mm. Um, And then my dad is so supportive now and it just took him a very long time so my younger sister recently came out and it's a very different household to it was when I came out and my dad has said to me several times he was like you know I'm glad that our journey went the way it did because now I can be there for Abigail in a way that I wasn't always there for years and so it's it's a really beautiful thing so they're incredibly proud of me which Mm. is lovely like they want to come to Pride and they love the IOTV Museum and, you know, they'll share around my videos and things wow. like that. But they're incredibly supportive. And I'm extremely lucky. But I think that what's really difficult about being trans is as an individual, you sit with it for so much longer before you tell anyone. Yeah. So for yourself, it feels very immediate and you want to transition and you're ready to go. and You're ready to tell the world but you're not affording other people that transition period of adjustment. Yeah. Because people think about it a lot and there has to be a grieving period. Whether they, you know, they're not losing a child, but what they're losing is expectation of that of child's course, life yeah. and they're readjusting it. So for myself, it was very much like I just hadn't afforded my family that time. And I mm. did so much of my transition myself so I kind of didn't give them a choice, but they're incredibly supportive now. They're oh. very proud of me. It's, it's, it's so lovely. lovely that, I mean, you've obviously got your, you've inherited your mum's emotional intelligence because to have, what when you've been through that kind of pushback, to then have sympathy for your parents to look back and say, well, actually, no, they needed that grieving period and they needed that period of adjustment yeah. is, it's, you know, it must be really helpful in the whole process. They've learned a lot and you've learned a lot about their experience as well, which is great. So talk to me about how, because I imagine there are a lot of 
psychological psychiatric hoops that you need to jump through before you can actually formally transition so tell me a little bit about what that period's like so it's changed a lot now from what it was you know I'm I'm 12 years into my transition now from when Mm. I came out so when I was younger the, the process is very much being referred to we call it CAMS which is like Cornwall's counseling service so being referred to CAMS going through two years of counselling, being referred to the Children's Gender Identity Clinic, which is in um, London, and going there and seeing a psychiatrist. So you have to have gone through two years of formal counselling before you can receive your referral to the GIC, and then two years of formal counselling at the GIC before you can receive your referral onto an endocrinology department. So when you're a child, you have to go via an endocrinology department because they need to make sure, you know, puberty is so much to do with hormonal and emotional changes as much Mm. as it is to do with physical changes in bone development and internal organ growth and all of those things. So I had to go through an endocrinology department and actually what had happened was I actively started my transition at 13. Mm. And I wasn't referred for hormones until I was 17. So that was the, and that's also why I I hadn't grown. That's why I I didn't have my growth there. I I wasn't on hormones until I was at 17 years old, which is really odd to think about that length of time, especially in such a pivotal. I'm very lucky because although I'm very, very tall, I never had my voice break. I've never had facial hair. You know, I've I've been Mm. very privileged in terms of my femininity that's been afforded to me just because of my biology. So another great job done by my mum. Is that also (laughs) to do? (laughs) She's she's the hero. Is is that also to do with the time? Do you think you got in there just before you were about to have those changes? Because right before. Yeah, because that's such a subject for debate. And I'm interested to know what your opinion is on it, because there is such a case for if a child is really passionately showing signs that they do not feel they're in the wrong body, get it Mm. sorted before puberty, because they are going to have that much better chance of being, and I hope this is the right word, but passable. Because I know we've had a conversation about Mm. this before, haven't we? Because I thought I was complimenting you when I said, you honestly would never know like you really wouldn't when I and I know I haven't met you in person but I've seen your videos and just to hear your voice everyone can hear on the podcast you would have no idea that you had been born um into any other gender and so Mm. the the do you feel like actually children know and we need to do it early or do you also worry that there's that hormonal kind of exploring curiosity and there's a danger that children could change their mind later So there's always a risk of children changing their mind. Children Mm. have been doing that for years and years and years. But as a parent, I mean, and and you're a parent yourself, you have two beautiful children. (laughs) It's weighing up the pros and cons because pausing hormonal development is reversible. But forcing a child to go through a puberty that they don't associate with is not reversible. So it's about weighing up those pros and cons, you know, do we want to pause their journey, allow them to explore and then have them change their mind and then develop as they should, but slightly later? 
or do we want to leave it as it is, allow them to go through these changes that would require surgery and intense therapy, and then try and pull it back? Do you know what I mean? So it's, mm. it's very much, and ultimately it, it has to be the parent's decision. Unless the child has or is seeking legal autonomy, the, the parent is, is the carer for the child. And so, and so it, it has to come from them. But I think that what's quite scary is when parents see a child who wants to explore their gender identity and they push against it. Because if anything, mm. the way to get to the root of an issue and to find out whether or not they're serious about transitioning or whether or not they're just experimenting is to allow them to play. Children have this beautiful freedom of play without consequence up until a certain yeah. age. And so as individuals, by allowing them to explore, you're more likely to get to the root of the issue. And whether that's transitioning or whether that's not, that can only be found through exploration. Yeah. So if we can provide supportive exploration, it's very different. For myself, obviously I'm not a parent, so I can't speak, but speaking to my mum about this, I don't see how the opinion and decision can be weighted towards allowing them to go through irreversible changes that could potentially have life-term psychological effects on mm. them, as opposed to just pressing pause, not having these, you know, everything from puberty blockers is completely reversible children can come off them go through a normal puberty See, I didn't I didn't know that I I had no idea and I I don't think that is reported I don't I don't think it's something that you hear about it's something that you can if if they have a huge regret which is I guess super unlikely you know people can change their mind but I guess you know it it happens yeah everyone you know and and I, I'm not a trans person who exists in a world that believes that transition is the only That's option. It. I'm not yeah. a trans person who believes that you have to pass to be able to live a, a happy and successful life as a trans person. But yeah, it literally is. It's a pause button on puberty. Mm. And if affording your child three extra years of exploration yeah. can help them determine a yes or no towards transition, I don't understand from an empathetic adult point of view how you could go in any other direction than that one do you know what I mean yeah completely so um talk to me about the different stages then of your transition and is it is it an ongoing journey or is it something that you've completed now because it it looks like you have but I you know I don't know is it something that you are constant it's constantly evolving that you're continuing are you still on treatment so you stay on treatment for your entire life and um, right. obviously I've had my uh, they call it gender reassignment surgery or sexual reassignment surgery if you're from the states um, and so for myself I will always remain on estrogen because regardless mm. of your gender identity you have to have some form of hormone in your body and if I've had sexual reassignment surgery and I'm no longer producing testosterone then I have to have artificial estrogen um so I will always be on medication throughout the entire duration of my life in terms of the stages of my transition just speaking from my perspective it was very much exploration for four years which included counseling which included the art of play gender expression through dress all of those things and then that went to intense NHS counselling for about 
two years, which led to a hospital referral and then having levels tested and bone density tested and things like that. And then that led to me being prescribed hormones at the age of 17 mm. and receiving my referral for the adult gender identity clinic here in London. And then that, I mean, following on from a three and a half year wait list, that then led to my referral for surgery. But what's quite interesting is as a trans woman, I've not had any plastic surgery. I've never had filler or I don't have breast implants or anything like that. So my all of the changes in my body were caused by my hormones and caused by the fact that I came in right at that right time, kind of wow. right before any changes took hold with me. So you so you only- had a, like a female puberty, really, for, because of the hormones. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, and so the only surgery I ever had was my gender reassignment surgery. And I call it gender reassignment surgery because when people think about being transgender, there are mm. two very crucial things. There's sex and there's gender. You can't change your sex. I'm not trying to attempt to be biologically female. I don't have an additional X chromosome. Like I can't make one in my body, but my gender is female and my gender expression is female. So I call it gender refinement surgery because I changed my gender. And mm. I often refer to myself as transsexual as opposed to transgender because I put physical steps in place to change my body autonomy um and so that's that's kind of my journey so I had my gender reassignment surgery just before the pandemic when I was 22 so I had completed my physical medical transition just after my 22nd birthday wow and then everyone and then the world's closed and you had to stay in I mean, it was quite good for my healing. Because yes. I didn't have to go anywhere. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, I can imagine actually. That's very true. Um, have you come up against any barriers? I mean, it sounds, from what we've said so far, although I know your mm. dad and you have a great relationship now, there was a little bit of a, a tricky time um, at first. Mm. Have you come up against any other barriers? Have you come up against any naysayers? Have you, um, had bullying as a result of this experience? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think what's really interesting is I've had the experiences I've had, but I still actively choose to live my life through rose-tinted glasses. I'm very aware of the negative, but I choose to err on the side of positive. I've been, I mean, I was bullied extensively throughout my uh, primary and secondary education. I have been assaulted numerous times. I was outed at university and then assaulted as a result of being outed. I've been stabbed. I've been denied job roles. I've been sat in the street. I still can't walk through my local town centre without having someone yell the word tranny at me (gasps) or something like that. Yeah, so, you know, it's all... It was all part of my experience. I think I'm quite lucky because I have passing privilege. And so I literally just went from one gender to the other and just jumped binaries. You know, I went from one binary to the next, changed all my pronouns. But people who don't pass or are non-binary identifying or, you know, gender fluid or things like that, they don't have that luxury all the time. So 
I got off quite lightly in terms mm. of all of my naysayers. But um, yeah, I definitely had that. And I get negative comments on my YouTube channel all the time, like every day. So, I mean, from uh, who are they? Are they like what, religious activists? Are they just dickheads? Is it mainly men or women? Or is it a mixture of the two? It does tend to lean towards men, I won't lie. There's always religion as an element to some of them. Some of them are very much just my expression. Some of them, you know, some of them don't enjoy my happiness. They don't think I'm deserving. Some of them send me messages reminding me that I'm a male who's just mutilated my body. And while I obviously disagree with that statement, Mm. My sex is still male and I have made steps to change my body. I don't believe I've mutilated it. I believe that I've associated it more with my internal expression. But, you know, so, but I, I live my transition to educate people and that's why I share it. That's why I am who I am. Because I want people to know that, you know, you can go through all of the crap and all of the naysayers and you can be abused and and shrugged off and and you know professionally discriminated against and Mm. all of those things but you can still achieve everything you want to you know I I went through all of that and I still finished my transition at 22 I still opened a museum at 25 I still do all of the things you know so it's very much choosing to take those experiences and not allow them to make you a complete pessimist yeah yeah you are amazing you are amazing and I I, you know from what you've told me about your mum I think you know you've definitely inherited her just like you know passion for people and passion for life and it's so you know that shines through in your videos as well and it's so lovely that there are children that you know as you said you you've fortunately had the role model of your neighbor or at least I don't know if they were a role model but certainly you knew that it was possible so for children to be able to or teenagers to be able to see you and and what you've been through is just it's just amazing it must be very rewarding for you it is very rewarding but there's a flip side of it being a lot of pressure because people then expect you to be responsive to questions or I'll get messages on my Instagram of very emotionally difficult to navigate subjects and Mm -hmm. I I specifically avoided going into medicine and therapy and psychotherapy and counseling because I didn't want to be responsible for someone else's life choices I love sharing my story I love telling people how I did it Mm. I love giving advice when I can but it's not my responsibility to assist them in making their choices I can educate them and sometimes I feel it's my duty to do so Mm. but it's not my responsibility to be their guider through it no that but, can be quite difficult yeah you're not you're not having the final say but you're a brilliant yeah. part of opening their eyes to that journey and what it can possibly be like so yeah you know, you're amazing exactly. basic basically <laughs> to sum up you're amazing um, <laughs> what what advice would you give if there are any parents listening and they feel that maybe you know their children are showing signs that they might possibly want to transition later or they've had started having conversations at home mm-hmm. um as you acknowledge now very graciously it it can be very very difficult for parents because their expectations have changed what advice would you give to parents don't be afraid to get it wrong mm. i think that in the world that we live in the society that we live in we are becoming so conscious of being politically correct 
that what we're actually doing is we're not including people and there's a lot of erasure happening because we're afraid of saying something that's gonna piss off the snowflake yeah. we then are leaning towards just not having discussions about it so I'd say if there's any parents watching don't be afraid to put a foot wrong because we all make mistakes we're all human as long as the intention is good and there's a desire to educate yourself then that's a great place to start allow your child to have open conversations and open expression where you can now there are some people you know you go to certain countries in the world there are still 69 countries in the world where being homosexual is illegal there are more countries in the world where being transgender is illegal Mm -hmm. and so for some people allowing expression is not as viable as it is for other people but if you're listening to this and you live in the united kingdom or you live somewhere where it's you know tolerated to be trans and things like that Mm. then allow your child to have open conversations with you allow your child to educate themselves provide them with the resources and really lean into the fact that depending on how old your child is they have a limited amount of time where they can be honest and express themselves and it's better for you and you'll have a better ground to stand on as a parent if you allow them to do that and allow them to explore and allow them to teach because people talk about you know they're just children and why should we give them you know these choices and all of these things but you look in the media you look in the things that they're watching you look into school mm-hmm. um and relationships between men and women are taught as standards and so why should they not have the education resources similar to same-sex relationships or to gender expression because we're not trying to turn your straight children trans. No. We're trying to turn your trans children into adults. Yeah. That's all we're trying to do. And so it's very much like, you know, it, it's super scary. There's support out there for parents. But bring your children to spaces like Queer Britain, the UK's first mm. LGBTQ museum, where they can learn about things, where they can ask questions, where they can read you know publications on what it means to have gender expression issues and and all of those things you know don't be afraid to put a foot wrong don't be afraid yeah. to listen to your child and allow them to play but also don't be scared by the queer community because we're not trying to indoctrinate people yeah. to be queer you know if I had a choice and I had children who were straight I know that they're going to have a much easier yeah. life if they identify with the sex that they were assigned at birth and if they identify as being heterosexual, I know that they're going to yeah. have an easier life. I don't want anyone to have to go through the experiences I had to go through to get to being mm. who I am. So don't, don't feel like we're trying to do that. Definitely. I think it's interesting what you said as well about how there is this narrative now where it's like, oh, you can't say anything these days and everyone will get cross. Yeah. But actually, the more I look at that, the... That narrative has been peddled by certain sort of right-wing newspapers, news outlets, things like that. They, they, it's almost like they're looking for people who are saying, oh, you should say this, or you need to say this. And they go, oh, they're getting offended. They're not getting offended. They're just saying it. But you're getting hugely offended by the idea that they are offended. And it's like they want to, yeah. they want to be able to go, everyone's offended nowadays. You can't say anything. It's like, no, actually, most of the queer people that I know aren't. They're like the least easily offended people, probably because they've been through so much shit. They're like, yeah. 
that you know they're the least <laughs> easily offended and yet there's these people who are like oh it's all in my face and oh it's you know they keep saying this but it's like mm-hmm. no just and and that is so damaging and annoying and like you say it does mm. create that erasure because then people are like oh maybe I am going to say something wrong and actually you just want to have conversations about it and I think what you were saying about taking your children who might be curious to queer museums and things like that take your children who aren't as well because it is so important take your you know cisgender kids to it because it's so important just to have that appreciation that love that tolerating and I saw what you're saying about school I saw a meme on Instagram once and it was like you know teaching kids about gay relationships is not going to make them gay we've all studied history none of us wanted to live as a Tudor wench you know so yeah exactly let's um quickly talk about being tall you are six foot three which actually won't won't seem hugely tall to most people listening to this and what is your relationship like with your height do you enjoy being a tall woman I do enjoy being a tall woman. There's something very powerful about being a tall woman. It commands attention and how you lean into that is quite interesting. I think my career in terms of being an activist and public speaker has definitely been furthered by taking up a physical, physically larger amount of space because I'm tall and because I have greater stage presence because I'm of a certain stature and things like that my relationship to being a plus size tall woman is very different to my relationship to having been a very thin tall woman that's Mm. quite interesting for me but I enjoy being tall very much It, it gives me a sense of strength there are some things that come along with being tall that I dislike like my feet size (laughs) which we spoke about before um but other than that no I I do really enjoy being tall I would maybe love to not be as tall as I am yeah I would definitely take being six foot three over being five foot two you talked about um having been a thin tall woman and a plus size tall woman I think I read Mm. or saw a video where you said some of um that was down to your treatment and it was a real Mm. struggle for you yeah yeah massive struggle for me so I obviously didn't start hormones until I was 17 years old when I went through a female puberty at 17. Mm. And part of having estrogen in your body is your fat deposits change, the metabolism and the relationship you have to how you hold your fat in your body completely changes. So I was always incredibly thin. From the age of about 17 to the age of about 22, I was probably no larger than a size eight. So I existed as a very kind of thin tall it felt very glamorous to be thin and tall it felt very you know model-esque to be thin and tall but I was very very unhappy and I was very unaffirmed in my femininity because I wasn't curvy and I didn't have you know large a larger chest or anything like that um and then my rapid weight gain you know I had gradually been gaining weight I was very athletic in university and then when I dropped out of university I gained probably about 10 kilograms gradually over the course of about a year Um, But it was for me during lockdown and during my surgery. So I had my surgery and I had lockdown and I had a breakup all within a month of each other. So I gained an excessive amount of weight. Um, One, because my metabolism in my body was completely changing. Two, Mm. because I've always been an emotional eater. So I was emotionally eating to get myself through my recovery and through lockdown. Um, And three, because there weren't really opportunities for exercise in London 
because we yeah. weren't able to go outside and be in public spaces for a long time. And I really gained an excessive amount of weight in such a short time. I probably gained maybe five stone in three months. It was pretty drastic for myself. Um, and it's something that's taken me a long time to get to grips with. Gosh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'd, I'm always a little bit hesitant to talk about weight anyway because whether you say Mm. someone looks great at a particular size or looks better bigger or looks better smaller or whatever I just think there's there's no need to talk about it but I do have to say you look great (laughs) size aside like you just you know you've got amazing bone structure you know as I said before you look incredibly feminine and I just Mm. really and I know not every trans person wants to hear this. Everyone's got their different experience, but you really wouldn't. Yeah, of course. No. <laughs> you, yeah. You know, no, you would just think you'd been born a, a girl. Yeah. And, you know, that's the fun thing is people look at me and they just think you're a tall woman as people yeah. look at you and think you're a tall woman. You yeah. know, no one looks at me and thinks, oh, they're tall and trans. They just are like, oh, wow, big girl. You know, she, you know. But I am comfortable enough to say, and I'm, it took me a long time in my transition to get to this point. I looked great before and I looked great now and I don't care. Yeah. Oh, no, you look amazing. And your fashion is amazing as well. Tell me a bit about fashion and shopping and how you find that as a tall woman and what your style's about. I mean, I've always loved fashion. So I actually studied fashion design because I wanted to be a fashion historian as my career. That's that's the path I wanted to go down. Um, And so I learned to make clothes when I couldn't find clothes that would fit me. So when I was uh, 14, I got my first ever job as a dressmaker's assistant. I worked there up until I went off to fashion college and it was a great time. I made collections. It was lovely. Um, so my relationship to fashion has always been very expressive. I was obsessed with the idea of gender expression through clothing and through mm. what you were wearing. And, you know, it was always very hyper feminine for me. And I think that shows in my fashion that I wear like on my channel and on my Instagram page and things like that like everything I wear is very hyper feminine and it's just because that's my preference you know I tried to push against it for years I tried to do the whole minimalism constantly shopping at cos doesn't care about a body shape you know and it just didn't work for me I like being curvy I like having a small waist and big boobs and big hips and that's great it's my thing I really enjoy it um and so my relationship to fashion has been I have been getting more experimental with it post my surgery because Mm. I no longer feel like my body is being dictated by a part that I wanted to change yeah and so yeah I love expressing myself through what I wear but also what I wear a lot is stealth pride because the trans pride colors are pink white and blue and so all of the time I try and wear pink and white and blue obviously today I'm in black and white but so you would have seen on my Instagram, I just posted a few three images. And I'm in a gingham dress that's half blue and half pink. Oh, that because those Moby are dress. colours. Yeah. Yeah, the Moby dress, yeah. Um, and so it's a nice way because I don't look trans, mm. but I choose to live my life publicly as a trans person. It's a beautiful way to be able to express that to the people who need to know. And for the people oh, who gosh, don't yeah. know, it's just a great dress. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it is, yeah. I mean, what you're doing is is so powerful for um, 
for other people that are potentially going through this and for parents as well to see you know if I I think if if I was worried about my daughter say or my son say they were going through something similar to be able to see you who's you know thriving in your career um who's speaking in a really inspirational way I think that's so good your your parents must be chuffed a bit I know especially as your dad went through that really difficult period in your teens like he must just be like so emotionally proud of you (laughs) um my dad you know it's really funny um my dad said something to me once that had stuck with me my entire life Mm. and he said um I will never understand but I will always respect and I have so much pride for who you are and that was that's all you can ask you know as a child and parent is for someone you know I named myself after my mother in honor of her support and my father is so supportive of me that he shares my stories to all of his straight friends and you know recently he said one of my blokes came into work and asked to speak to you because they're questioning their gender identity and I was like to have him a man of his generation come to a point of comfort with me that he can come to me for advice about gender expression is amazing so yeah yeah, I'm I'm incredibly proud to be their daughter I'm very proud to be from small town Cornwall to have opened what I've opened to have worked where I've worked to have achieved what I've achieved Um, and I'm glad that I've inspired people not only externally from but also my younger sister she says that I inspire her all the time so it's been a really beautiful thing you spoke about her coming out so is she yeah. coming out trans or coming out gay? Did you mean coming out trans? She's, she's not coming out trans. Um, and I'm not going to disclose her gender identity or anything like Fair that enough. yet. But she associates with being a part of the queer community. Amazing. But she still uses she, her pronouns. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I'm so glad yeah. that she's got you to, to look up to. And maybe, you know, this could be to your sister. I ask people to give advice at the end uh, to themselves, yeah. to their tall teenage self. So what kind of yeah. advice would you have given to yourself that you wish you knew then or that you'd give to other teenagers who are perhaps identifying with the queer community or wanting to transition? I mean, my advice for myself would be try not to take everything so personally not everyone is out to get you it's Mm. not all about you some people (laughs) are just making their decisions um I'd say try don't try so hard to impress people once you drop the wall and the facade of trying to be what you think people want you to be you will be yourself and that will attract the right people and it will send the wrong ones away from you. I really wish, you know, I didn't start to identify with my clothing and my expression until I was maybe 20, you know, Mm. so I wish I could go back to my teenage self and tell her that it's okay to be hyper femme. That's not a problem. If that's who you are and that's how you associate, you know, being a pretty girl wearing pretty dresses is fine. That's a perfectly fine choice. And as adults, we get to choose what we put on our body and how we style our hair and things like that. But when you're a teenager, you're so desperate to conform or rebel. Mm. And because I was choosing to rebel in my gender identity, I was trying to conform in my gender expression. And I wish I could go back to her and say, just rebel in everything. Um, And it's the same advice I give to my little sister and she's listened to it. So she recently went to prom in like, straight up gothic Victorian burlesque everything Amazing. you know so to have that confidence at that age that's 
that's the advice I'd go back and give. I'd also tell her not to be so harsh on my family. Mm. And I'd probably tell her that fashion is great, but maybe jump over to art history because you'll <laughs> learn a lot more. <laughs> um, that's what I'd say to her. Yeah. Oh, and stop trying to squeeze your feet into shoes that are too small for you because yes. you're going to damage one of your toenails and it's going to bother you your whole life. Yes. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> that was that was brilliant. And I just think that is such an interesting conversation that people are going to learn a lot from and be very inspired by. And you're going to model for me as well, aren't you? So I'm, I am um, going to model for you. Yes, yes I'm going to be an Otto and Ivy girl. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you, Stephanie. I learned so much from that chat. And I really hope that listeners gained something from it too. Apologies that there were a few sound issues, but I didn't want you to miss out on this conversation. You can follow Stephanie Lynette on her YouTube channel. And if you or your loved ones have been affected by any of the things we've discussed today, Stephanie recommends looking up Mermaids Charity, which helps gender diverse kids, Gendered Intelligence, of which she is a trustee, and the museum that she has been working for, Queer Britain. And if you'd like to check out my shoes for large size feet, you can head to ottoandivy.com or follow on Instagram and Facebook at Otto and Ivy Shoes. Bye.